Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. It is raining, so we have neither walked nor run, but I have voted and he hasn't. So, <laughs> And we have enjoyed coffee and good cookies. <laughs> so what is astonishing you this week? I am um, so very grateful that... Like you, I get to be a community pastor, not simply the pastor of Dorada Church, uh, but more and more I am um, having the opportunity to come alongside people in our neighborhood um, to be their, their, their spiritual friend. Mm -hmm. And it really is an honor and a privilege, and I get to do that um, when people are preparing to marry and a lot lately uh, when it comes to funerals and um, both inside uh, the family of Dorada Church and outside in our, our neighborhood, people are just asking me like flat out, what happens when you die? Mm. And people are really concerned about that and, and I usually reflect the question back to get a sense of where they are and what they think and what comes up over and over and over again, people will say something like, my understanding is that if you are a believer and you die and you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. And there's a period there and they stop. Hmm. So the what, what I get from that is that they have this understanding that if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven and you live forever in this kind of immaterial state you're kind of floating in heaven on the clouds, playing a harp or something mm -hmm. like that. And so that gives me just a great opportunity to tell the fuller story. Because mm -hmm. I, I get a sense that people subconsciously, I think it's subconscious, that their understanding is that God is basically through with creation, mm -hmm. right? And that mm -hmm. this life is really kind of the, the proving ground before mm -hmm. Judgment Day. Mm -hmm. And so this this planet really doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, I've mm -hmm. heard Christians say, oh, we're going to leave this old world, mm -hmm. and right? But the fuller Christian story is that, yes, when we die, our bodies go in the ground, we become dust. Our spirits, our souls go to heaven, right? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. But that place is temporary, mm -hmm. right? So there will be a time when Jesus comes again, the dead will be raised, there will be a judgment day, and then there will be a new creation. And I'm noticing over and over when I tell people that we will spend eternity on the planet, they just kind of stare. It's like, are you, is that right? Is that really right? It's like, yes, we will be physical beings. We will eat food, we will know our loved ones. And I'm, I'm astonished that in my teaching and preaching, either I just haven't emphasized that enough, or um, I have been teaching and preaching it, but it's it's just not registering with people. Um, and it's so, I mean, life and death, that's just so important, and yet that central part of what we believe, that, that's not new, that's 
basic New Testament, but we're just not there. And so I'm I'm committed to, like, I think I say new creation almost every Sunday now. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's really interesting because I don't usually... Do you get that question? I, maybe I don't get the question as much because I... Um, prevent the question because I'm because I will just proclaim what I believe and what I also think the New Testament the gospel teaches which is I believe that we are safe in God's love after death and so I don't I don't find it super helpful to um, speculate a lot of what that looks like because I don't know because I think it's a great mystery and I do think it limits I mean, it's hard for a human mind who has a concept of how big the world is and how many people who have ever been alive. It's hard for people to have just a practical understanding of how that could be so, which I think then, you know, painting that that picture can undercut people's abilities to have faith in the promise of God. Like people are saying like, well, I can't see how that could happen. Therefore, it must not. Like, I can't believe in it. And so I, you know... Um, I, I really tend to more lean into the mystery, the promises that I don't I don't know how, but I believe that we'd be safe and alive and you know abundantly alive in the kingdom of God, what whatever, wherever that looks like. Because I think, you know, the reason that people have that false understanding, that false sense of certainty is because, you know, Jenkins and LaHaye have cherry-picked a few verses and then crafted a narrative that has gotten a lot of cultural traction. And so while I do think it's helpful occasionally just to say, hey, you know those guys kind of just made some stuff up based on some really questionable understandings of a few verses, um, I think that's helpful. But I don't I don't really want to paint a competing narrative of what it's going to be like because I think you know the Bible often uses metaphor because mm-hmm. because our human understanding is limited um, and because you know I want to lean on on phrases like now I, I I see in part but then I shall see fully now I'm you know then I shall be fully known so I you know but I do think um, also you know, I mean I've been with people a lot um, at the moment of death, and I think it's important to name the promises of God and to use the language of "I believe." You know, I believe these promises, and here's what they are, and I want you to find comfort in them as well. And I don't want someone's human capacity to imagine something to be a stumbling block that prevents them from finding trust and comfort in the promises. But I mean, this is just a great example of how. There are lots of ways to be faithful in articulating the promises of God. And I think one of the other things that's super unhelpful when a lot of folks go to answer these ultimate questions is they just try to flatten them and simplify them and say, like, this is what you must believe. Or here's what people who love God, or even worse, here's what people who God loves, here's what they think. So just think this. And the reality is... You know, that's not our thinking and our believing are not the thing that get us in or keep us in the goodness and love of God. So 
I just kind of want to release people from all of that. I'm going to send them to talk to you <laughs> if they want. <laughs> well, and I, I think you're right. The, the Bible does not give us a lot of details. Mm-hmm. And we misstep when we speculate too much. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I really want to teach and preach and proclaim what I see really clearly yes. represented in scripture and to say there's nothing wrong with wondering. There's nothing wrong with imagining. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, when I read this verse about new creation, it makes me think that X, Y, Z, but I just always want to really clearly frame it as this is what I think. And I am a human person. And so this isn't something that you need to agree with me on, or you need to, I mean, this is not, this is my speculation. It's not the gospel. Here's what is the gospel. And what I'm getting at is often when I hear people talk about what happens after you die, they never get to new creation. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's a central teaching. Teaching in the gospel. And sure. I, and I want to lead people to However you envision it in terms of the biblical narrative, you've got to include new creation or else you just have this kind of immaterial, we're kind of floating on the clouds right. view. And sometimes a, a real contempt for life here and now, which becomes really destructive and alienating. And I do think we were talking about this earlier that, you know, it's this real balance when you are teaching and preaching in a community because you want to spend the most of your effort like casting vision and expanding what mm-hmm. what is true and what we do know and what we're for. But there are times when you just have to sort of pause and say, hey, there's something that you might have heard over and over again. Things. Yeah, you Absolutely. just got to say like, this yes. is not true. Yes. And so I'm not going to spend like a ton of time like demonizing the people who believe it or dissecting where it comes from. I just want to show you how in scripture you know, there's a yeah. counter witness, um, but well, I'm going to name it. A moment ago, you used uh, the term false theology or false narrative. Mm-hmm. I think it is a false theology that says the point of this life is to rocket ship off of Correct. the planet to someplace else. When the biblical narrative says heaven comes to earth, it is right. the, the whole Bible ends with this marriage ceremony it's right. it's heaven and earth coming together and that's not part of the, the the narrative that we that we tell and talk about it's it's let let me go to some other place other right. than here but i just think the challenge sometimes is i mean like they're talking about new creation and talking about the goodness of god's creation and, and God's fidelity that there's no there's no God forsaken place there are no God forsaken people and so there are no people that we think are irrelevant or don't matter but I I um oh I just this is rare I totally just lost my train you of thought you lost your train of thought that is super rare Can wait you just what cut all this part out I don't know what I was going to say it is the gentle falling of rain know, outside really which nice. I hope isn't distracting you're still using your podcast <laughs> voice I want all this part cut out I'm just going to tell you as I say I do none of the editing so it's really easy for this me to say this is staying in no, it's staying stop. in no I was going to say oh I know I just worry sometimes I don't want in American culture, so often when we talk about believing in Jesus, it gets represented as this like psychological, emotional state, right? So do I feel a certain way about Jesus? Then I believe in him. And if I don't feel or if I don't like 
intellectually assent with a certain process, then I don't believe, right? And so I just get worried about kind of explaining too much about what happens after death because if people have natural, you know, questions or doubt or an inability, inability to um, expect that or imagine it, then I feel like too often people then count themselves out and go like, oh, well, I must not believe, right? Or so now the God's promises don't apply to me anymore because I don't believe that it's going to happen in this way. So belief is less about saying, you know, I I see who God is and what God stands for and I want to stand on this side and I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to give me new life and to, you know, make me part of God's new creation and I want to, you know, sub submit myself to obedience to God's way and, you know, trust the working of the Holy Spirit. It becomes like how do I emotionally react when I hear something said and my emotional reaction then is an indicator of whether or not I believe not my actual will or desire to stand with God or, you know, and so that, yeah. that's what yeah. makes me worry. You know, if you've got people my, who just... My faith in Jesus and the grace given to me through him isn't changed if I have an incorrect view of what happens after or I Or if die. I have doubt. Like if, if I'm I facing death and I just go, yes. what in the heck, how could everyone who's ever lived live on this earth? Yes. Like that doesn't seem possible to me. So, oh, okay, I guess I don't believe. So I got to go, you know, stand outside of the yeah. Christian community to say, look, I mean, some things are, some things are a mystery and faith is about a leap. It's a leap, right? Yeah. It's not about certainty. It's about... You know, well, trusting again, that's God why I think we're beyond given, our understanding. That's why I think we're given a broad narrative Correct. and not the details. Correct. And the the more I follow Jesus, the longer I follow Jesus, and the um, the the longer I do this work of ministry, I see the value and power of the basics of the narrative without mm -hmm. the details and right. and and the repetition of of that basic narrative that that's really powerful and really mm -hmm. transformative and and it shapes me and in, in, in right. my community. And I like to say a lot and to say it to myself and to people to say we don't have faith in our faith. Absolutely. We have faith in God. Yes. And so the reality is I think and and Paul thinks so too in Romans that people are created with different measures, different capacities for belief and God doesn't judge us or reject us on the basis of how God made us. And so there are some people who are just going to be able to walk with a kind of ontological trust and um, awareness of God's presence and experience of God's wisdom. And that is a beautiful thing. And if if you are not one of those people, that doesn't mean you're trash and it doesn't mean that you don't believe. It just means that you are created differently, wired differently. And, and that's why our communities are meant to be diverse spiritually mm -hmm. as well as in every other good way that glorifies the image of God. And, and often that doesn't happen. And so we, we sort of separate into our enclaves and say, you know, well, this is a community for people who just, you know, know that they know that they know all the time, you know. And, and the reality is, A, nobody lives in that place of, bone deep soul deep knowing from beyond themselves all the time all the time everyone has periods of doubt periods where periods where they experience the absence of god and you know that doesn't sell t-shirts but it is true and so you know, we need to be in a community where we say 
you know, there are seasons in our lives where we just experience the closeness of God and we experience a confidence and a trust and a, you know, soul knowing. And those are beautiful seasons to be enjoyed and to be leveraged for the kingdom. And also to know that not everybody gets those seasons. They don't last as long for everybody. Sometimes for our own good sake, God, you know, moves us into a different season. And, And so... That, that's all. I, well, I just want to say, whatever we say, and I 100% agree with you that it's important that we stop giving people the idea that this life and this earth are garbage because we cannot be people who believe in the incarnation on one hand and on the other hand just say, like, the world is trash and God's going to throw it away like a pile of, you know, yeah. wadded up newspaper. Those two like, things don't I go. I hate the saying. Oh, it makes me cringe. When people say the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I just don't believe that. Right. Jesus Christ has redeemed the world. Right. And I think, you know, and this brings me to God so loved the world. Right. And that, and I feel like so, so many times people who love Jesus say things like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And, and it's, I mean, it's sincere, but it's also like virtue signaling, right? Like sort of saying mm-hmm. like this, everything that's going on around here, like I yeah. hate it and I'm against it and I don't participate in it. And so like this world is not my home. And that's the intention is to sort of announce an alternative. But the reality is that's, that is not subversive and that is yeah. not different than the larger cultural narrative, right? Like, earlier you mentioned your, your emphasis on the promises. Mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful because if you look at... Uh, what the New Testament says, I mean, Jesus says things like, I go and prepare a place for mm-hmm. you. He didn't right. say we, you know, right. you and I together are going right. to make a place for you. He says uh, in, in Revelation, he says, behold, I make all things new. Right. right? It's all on him. He says he's going to do this. And so I'm simply trusting him for that ultimate future. And I think the reality is like we are called to be set apart and to be salt and light. And if we're people who walk around saying like, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, then we're not salt or light. Like we are just echoing the larger narrative of the enemy, right? And so if we want to truly be countercultural, then we are people who don't pretend that things are okay, that they're not when they aren't okay, who don't say everything is good for the people who matter to God. You know, we're not people who shut our eyes to the evil and its power in this world, but we are people who dare to say, and yet I trust that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And that is, um, you know, that's a proclamation. That's evangelism. And so we need to do that. Cause I, you know, it relates to what I've been watching this week and I watched it two weeks ago too. Um, you know, that now there's just lots of conversation around the coronavirus and, COVID-19 and people are trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen and what we should do and what we should expect and how we should prepare. And, um, it's really difficult to separate truth from hysteria, from political manipulation. I mean, it's just really difficult. And I have been watching what we all know is true that like fear and is just contagious. It's so contagious. And a couple of weeks ago, my oldest daughter was homesick and it was when we had those um, tornado warnings. And so all the kids were out in the hall doing the tornado drill. And um, she does not have a cell phone, but her friends do. And she was home with me. So she was, she sometimes has her friends text on my phone. And so 
she was looking at texts that they were sending. And it was just so, so sad and hard and interesting to watch the, like they started out just being kind of like, oh, we're out here in the hall, blah, blah, blah. And then one person was like, I'm really scared. And another person, and it just like snowballed Snowball. so wow. quickly. And, you know, and these are middle school girls. And so not that people shouldn't be able to say, I'm afraid. I mean, people should, you know, the community of Jesus is a community of truth. So if people are afraid, they should feel no shame about saying, I am afraid. And also, in a moment like this, when fear becomes contagious, it is really important that people of faith are willing to stand up and say, you know, just, I trust God. And that does not mean that I believe that nothing bad will ever happen to me and that nothing hard will ever happen to me, that I will never suffer. It does not mean that I believe that all the people who suffer a tragedy, you know, they didn't matter to God. And so that's why they're suffering and I don't have to care about them. I'm not saying that I am having trust because reality doesn't apply to me. I am saying... I trust in the goodness of God in this moment and I'm not afraid because this reality is real <laughs> and yet I know that it is not ultimate. So whatever That's kind it. of sickness comes to my house, I, I know how to pray, I know how to ask for healing, and I know how to accept that healing comes in lots of different forms and I know ultimately that I believe that God has, that Jesus has prepared a place for me, that Jesus is making all things new, that I don't trust in my ability, you know, to stockpile resources and hoard ammo in order to save myself in a moment. And I don't close my eyes and put my fingers in my ears and say, nah, 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 this will never happen because we're a Christian nation. And I don't blame anybody for it, but I say, this is reality. And given that this is the season that God has called me to live, how can I be faithful to live as a person who believes that the gospel is good news and good news in hard times um, and not like cheap lies. Mm. Um, So not to say people are suffering and things are uncertain and I don't care because I know I'm going to be fine. Um, But to say, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to, we're going to trust God in this moment. So I, you know, bought a few extra jars of peanut butter. Don't feel badly about that at all, but also just want to, as a community of faith, we really have an opportunity that when those conversations come up in our workplaces and our neighborhoods to just be able to say, hey, I'm leaning into God's promises in this moment. Um, I'm worrying about today mm-hmm. <laughs> because Jesus gave us some really helpful teaching about staying focused on today and today is good. And I'm seeking the Lord for wisdom about, you know, what, what kinds of things does God want me to do today in order to prepare for tomorrow? But other than that, I'm done. But I just feel like knowing that fear is spreading like wildflower in the fire at the culture in large and in churches, how do we live as people who believe that God is good and God is powerful? What does that look like? Because in the early church, when plagued, entered into communities. The, the Christians, Christians would stay. Right, they and didn't take run care away. Yeah. They mm-hmm. stayed and used it as an example 
to embody the goodness of God, and right? And many died. And many did die, and they weren't afraid to die because they knew that they would not be separated from God by their death. And they knew they would not be separated from their loved ones by their death. And so, and afterward, the church grew. <laughs> correct, because, and we've said this before, like, how did the church grow at a time when believers were being like dragged away into the Colosseums to be martyred? And, you know, people would have thought, and that was what the empire counted on, that people would say, if we just punish people harshly enough, it will make their belief system so unattractive that it will no longer be a threat. But it backfired because instead of people saying, oh my gosh, I want to stay away from the Christians because I don't want to die like that, people thought, what in the world do those people believe that they are not afraid? And people are saying, I am so tired of being angry and afraid all the time. And so if you know a God who gives you the power to live fearlessly and lovingly, then teach me who that God is. But I just feel like, so we have domesticated and cheapened and like commercialized the gospel so much that like, why the hell should people come to our churches and believe in Jesus if they're just gonna walk out, you know, stressed, oppressed, striving, full of hatred and rage towards their enemies. Like people can just stay home. Go to brunch. People can just, you know, be a really, you know, fervent member of a political party. If what they want to do is just grab power for themselves, build the best life they can and screw their enemies, they don't need to drag Jesus into that. So like if we're not people who are trusting Jesus, then well, we're missing out on our own abundant life. And also a moment like this ought to be a moment where we really shine because it's easy to be unafraid when things are going really well. But when things are looking scary, this should be a moment where we say, hey, we're standing on the promises of God and we are believing in the goodness of God. So anyway, that is what is astonishing me. It's fear is breaking out. Actually, I had another friend who was like, what are you doing to modify your church (laughs) culture? And like, we are doing nothing. To modify your church in response to the virus? Correct. Like, are you going to start telling people we're not going to pass the peace anymore or telling people like we're going to take communion differently? And like, I just, I'm not a fan. Like, I'm not saying that when something actually happened, we would follow the recommendation of experts. So like, If people said, hey, we really need to take a two-week break from gathering in spaces, not that the Grove is so crowded, but like, sure, we, we would do that. We would take advantage of technology we had. But I mean, until that happens, we're not going to respond to a crisis that hasn't happened yet because that's not faithful. So anyway, that is what I'm astonishing about. What are you thinking about? Well... How you just got a text. <laughs> Yolanda was like multitasking <laughs> in amazing, in amazing ways. No, I'm, I, I was just checking on my wife who is oh, sick. That's true. Yeah. Okay, that is painful. I'm sorry. Uh, Cut this part out too. <laughs> Yolanda well, uh, is a very, very good husband. Well, um, sometimes. Um, another, um, I don't know if it's uh, another issue of controversy, but uh, so, yeah, um, my text this week um, mentions, it brings up the subject of hell. Mm-hmm. And so that's on my mind. Also, we have this wonderful woman in our community. I'm sorry, uh, I just noticed Yolanda uh, brought coffee to my house today. <laughs> and so it's for Yolanda 
Y-U-L-O-N-D-O. Yeah, they didn't quite spell my name. <laughs> they didn't quite spell my name so, right this at is Starbucks. The thing. Like, Yolando has an alias. Sometimes he's Yolando and sometimes he's Dwayne. And he's usually Dwayne in Dwayne the coffee Dwayne is my place. real name. Okay, whatever. But It's my middle name. It is your middle name. And it's what Han calls you is Dwayne. Yes. Which is whatever. Yes. I, but you always get, you say Dwayne at the Starbucks and I always mock you. And yes. now I see them spelling your name with a Y. And so, so you can even understand. as I, even as I mock you, I take back, I take back my previous mocking <laughs> and substitute it for this one. I'm sorry. But I should prepare for future mocking. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we have this wonderful woman. Back to in, hell. Yeah. Back to, back, yes. <laughs> back to hell. Back to hell. Uh, uh, we have this wonderful woman in our community. Her name is Cece. She is, she's new to us. She's a student, um, uh, working on a master's in theology and, uh, oh, where's she's, she studying? Uh, she's uh, online at Liberty University. Okay. Um, she is a second career person, and um, we met her as we were knocking on doors and giving away bread, and um, she and I um, had a connection, and, and we've just stayed in, in um, uh, communication and conversation, and so she's started to worship with us, and anyway, she's working on a paper this week on hell. Uh, is it... Um, a metaphor, is it just a metaphor, mm-hmm. or is it real? And so uh, we met a couple of days ago to talk about her paper, and um, I think it's completed sometime this week, or supposed to be completed sometime this week. So it, that's on my mind, and um, again, our text this week mentions it, and I'm having to ask myself, what do I really believe? And, and I know that there is much... Uh, debate uh, in the body of Christ about place or um, metaphor or other things and is it uh, eternal conscious torment is it annihilation Um, and where I'm coming down um, is that hell is both um, place and force is the best word that I have right now in the sense of, you know, we human beings, through our disobedience, through our sin, we, we in a sense, release or make room for, uh, give place to hell in the here and now. Mm-hmm. But I also believe that the New Testament language uh, is, is metaphor for something real, mm-hmm. right? If I were to say that um, my wife is a ball of fire, Right, mm-hmm. that's metaphorical language, and I'm speaking about something real. Uh, when yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, true. It's, it's a it's metaphor, true. but it's yes. true. Yeah. Um, I I remember when um, our Matthew was two, and we were in the sanctuary one day, and he was asking me about the baptismal font, and the only thing I could think of in that moment was that it's it's like a mini bathtub, right? Mm-hmm. And he got that right. So is it a mini bathtub? No, but it's it's something real, something true, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, well, and I think God gives us the truth that we can have, right? And doesn't, you know, even though it's limited, we get the truth that absolutely. we can have as opposed to just getting nothing, right? That's the glass dimly. We yes. see through a glass dimly yes. now, so that's... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my... What I've encountered in the church, at least in our corner called the PCUSA, is that there is, first of all, a little talk about that. There's a lot of denial of that. We, we really don't touch that subject. Um, 
but I, I want to say that it is, it's both and. It is hell right now. We, we, we've mm-hmm. released hell in our disobedience. We've allowed it uh, to reign on the earth. But there is also some, some future, uh, something that right now the Bible speaks to us in metaphorical language about that's probably much worse than the, the metaphor. And it seems to me that the good news of the gospel is in part or much about the kingdom of God coming not only to rescue us from a place, which is much of evangelical theology, but also to to remove the hell out of us and our mm-hmm. world, which is, well, that's that's a lot of progressive theology. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to hold on to, it's, it's both of those things, mm-hmm. but I know that there's just not a lot of people who land there. But I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to preach that this Sunday, um, and um, I know it's going to spark a lot of conversation in our congregation. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about, how to talk about hell. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, that's interesting because it's in my text this week, too, and I have, I have too much to unpack. I have too much to unpack. I'm sorry, let me get closer to the microphone while I talk about hell. I have too much to unpack to really spend a lot of time um, I mean, and again, it's what we were talking about earlier. Anything that I could say about hell beyond the biblical text would just be my speculation. Right. And so, you it's know, mostly... It's not paradise lost. We're not going correct. to... Correct. And, right. and people really do think that the things, the ideas that they've gotten from paradise light lost, they think are somewhere in scripture. And so that is, is difficult because it's... So it's important to sort of say this idea, Dante's Inferno, that that's... Dante's vision and there may or may not be some level of you know spiritual revelation in that but you need to know that it is in scripture and we need to be able to differentiate between what scripture says and what we think it says and to be able to you know just speak with a great deal of um humility so I yeah I well here's what I'm reminded of you and I often say and I think it is true that we need to emphasize what we're for right. and not simply what we're against. Right. And I think hell is one of those things. However you conceive of it, it seems to me the truth of Scripture, the, the truth of the gospel is that Jesus overcomes it. Jesus... Right. The, that right. the 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 heart of God is not gleefully seeking who I can throw in there. Right, and I think the right? problem is when we talk about hell, it's A, we very rarely admit how little we understand it, but B, we use it in particular ways, consciously or unconsciously. It's so for those people. Well, I mean, for two points. Like A, we would either use it so that we can get some kind of psychological relief to say, mm-hmm. well, we might be suffering now or those people might look like they're going to get away with it now, but someday they'll be burning in hell eternally and somehow that makes me feel better about what's happening here and now. And the reality is that's not the heart of Jesus, right? Like there's no way that taking pleasure in the pain of your enemies 
is a sign that you are part of the gospel yes. way of life. So if, yeah. if hell is important to you because you need to know that the people who are against you will suffer, then you need to do a heart check, That's right? right. And so the other way that we use hell is to build communities because we have learned from the culture that the best way to control people is to make them afraid. And Absolutely. so we say, here's hell, it's out there, you better be careful, you don't want to eternally burn. And then people are like, well, yeah, I don't want to eternally burn. So I don't know if I... You know, I don't really want to ask any questions. I don't really want to explore this. I don't really want to, because I don't want to know that this is not true. I just want to know that I'm not going to burn in hell, right? Mm -hmm. So this is also not the way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't try to scare anyone into right relationship with God. Does he speak truth? Yes. Is that truth sometimes, not as often as people think, but is that truth sometimes like unsettling and harsh and it's very judgment? Yes. I mean, absolutely. But Jesus doesn't, tell people the truth so that they'll be scared and come and stand with him. He tells people the truth so that he can unmask the powers and principalities that are operating in their lives. And then he presents an alternative so that people can say, actually, I don't want to be a part of that. I see that it's a lie. I see that it's not good. So in my feebleness and in my weakness, I'm going to go for this other thing over here. So my problem isn't that people wonder about hell I mean, it's fine to wonder about hell, but if you need a hell because you need your enemies to suffer, if you need a hell because otherwise you think, well, if people aren't afraid of hell, then they'll never come and be a part of the kingdom of God, then you need to recognize that those things are antichrist. Yes. I mean, they're antichrist. Yes. That doesn't mean, I mean, I don't, that doesn't mean that hell doesn't exist. It just yes. means that you are manipulating gospel truth in really anti-Christ really ways. I think that's good. Well, I always do better speculating about preaching your sermons on a Tuesday <laughs> than, than my own. Um, so, yeah. So what are you thinking about? I am thinking, um, I often say, and this is always true, that I am the happiest pastor I know and that the Grove is my dream church, literally the church of my dreams that I never in my wildest imagination, thought A, really at some points that could exist, and B, certainly never thought that I would get to be the pastor of a community like this because it's just so breathtakingly beautiful and miraculous. And community is hard. Mm. It's just hard. And that is heartbreaking. And I think that you know, it's just important to name those things because I think sometimes we think, well, if a community is holy and if a community is beautiful, then it won't be hard. And so when a community becomes hard, we see it as a sign that we're in the wrong community or that the community isn't what it should be or that God doesn't want us there. And I think the reality is, you know, as people who are sort of caught, as as Paul would say, in the between the already and the not yet. Like there are some ways that we already have all of the promises of God and there are some ways not yet, right? And so living in that tension between who we are and who we are becoming means that we enter into our communities and we are um, wounded and we are we are wounded. And so that means we both have tender places and jagged edges. And we exist in a larger culture that is dominated by powers and principalities that I believe are passing away, but like they are not going gently into the good night, you know? So, um, you know, the devil is, 
busy. I mean, the enemy of our souls is busy and not doing the kind of, we were talking about this on Sunday, like not doing the kind of things that they make poltergeist movies about, just like sowing um, doubt and fear and division among people who are called to unity and who are called to believe the best about each other and are called to give one another the benefit of the doubt and are called to be vulnerable with one another. And, and so I just, community is hard and there's no, like, I, I don't think that there is any sort of spiritual alchemy whereby we would enter into a community and it would not be hard, right? Even if it's really good and holy and miraculous, it is still going to be hard for wounded people to live together and they're going to hurt each other. And sometimes that's just like flat out maliciousness because people don't actually you know, they're in the church, but they don't actually believe in the gospel and they don't have gospel values. And so then, you know, that's one thing, but even, you know, the, the best thing that the Grove has going about it is its brokenness. I mean, and is its poverty and is that there's no reason to be at the Grove unless you believe in the mission of what we're doing. Like, there's no reason, like you could literally like crash your car in the potholes in our parking lot, right? Like there's no reason to be there except that you want this vision. And so there really is authentic unity and, and heart vision, but it's still hard. And, and, um, you know, our families, like just, I mean, I hear story after story and I live it in, in my own life and my extended family that like hard things happen. And instead of, instead of that binding us together in love, sometimes, you know, that pain gets manifested by like creating enmity in, in intimate relationships. And that's just so hard. And I guess I just, I've been thinking a lot about that and thinking about how it's important to not become resigned to it, but also just to have right expectations of it and to really not to be all like woo woo about it, but to really be able to like see it as a spiritual attack and, and to remember that we have tools right like we that when we are experiencing like hurt and woundedness um that we need to be vulnerable and i think a lot of times we try to like avoid vulnerability by like somebody hurts us and um we just forgive them without we try to just forgive them without ever having a conversation with them because having a conversation is hard because if you go to someone and say like, Hey, I was really hurt when you blah, 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 blah. I mean, they might say, you know, F, you know, F that, <laughs> F you. And, and then you have your original hurt and you have this additional hurt. Um, so I think for lots of reasons, we kind of try to protect ourselves by forgiving people without ever letting them know that we were hurt. And then I just think a lot of times we were really sincerely doing that, but the pain doesn't go away. So it's still there. And so it, it builds power. And then the next time, or maybe not the next time, maybe a time, the 10th time or a time six months later, you have another encounter and it's like, whatever the, the presenting issue is now, plus all of the weight and the magnification of the previous pain that you really sincerely try to let it go but you couldn't and now it you know it's just there and it's festering and I think you know one of the things that we have to be able to do in community I think 
is to really trust Jesus with our community. Like I think a lot of times we don't name hurt and pain because we just think like, well, if I name it, then the brokenness of this relationship will become manifest and the whole thing will fall apart. And I mean, I don't know. I just... Well, and naming it means being vulnerable. It means being really vulnerable. And I think sometimes we would much rather, as odd as it is, it, it feels... It feels safer to be the person who asks for forgiveness. Like who, like if I hurt you mm-hmm. and you come to me and say like, hey, Kate, you were a real jerk the other day. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if I go, oh, like I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. Please, please forgive me. And that's sincere or whatever. But in a way, this role of me, you know, asking for forgiveness is less vulnerable than you being the one who comes to me and says... Like, I see that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's really, we don't think about that. Like so often as a Christian, we think about how we're going to give forgiveness, but we don't think about how we, if we are hanging out in our communities, are going to need forgiveness, like need to receive it, not need to give it. To, like sometimes mm-hmm. we're not, I mean, and we've got to stop thinking, we've got to stop thinking about it as like good guys and bad guys, right? Like we've got to stop thinking about it as like, you know, this binary condition of some people are sinners and some people are sinned upon. I mean, the reality is we're all like a really pitiful, wounded, weak, broken mess of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of beauty in us and a lot of real love in us. And also like, there's just a lot of brokenness and weakness. And I don't know, but I guess, I mean, the point of all of that is just to say in lots of places, um, I just have been seeing so clearly how hard it is for people who really love the Lord and really love each other to live together in in community, whether that's church community or family community or neighborhood community. Like, it's just really, really difficult. And I feel like there's some power in just naming that and putting that expectation out there so that when people find themselves hurt or hurting, you know, or being the one who has hurt another, that we can just sort of like accept like, oh, like this is unpleasant and this is uncomfortable. And also it's normal, right? And we don't, and as long as we like face it, we can invite the Holy Spirit into it. And there can be a transformation that actually makes something really glorious in this wounded place. But when we're afraid of it, that's when it really has a lot of power. And especially when we have these wrong expectations of like, well, I'm in the right church now, so everything should, you know, it shouldn't be hard. That's right. And just to say like, no, it's going to be hard. So the real question is, what kind of community is worth the struggle for, right? And I would say, I mean, for me, it's hard and this community is worth the struggle because I believe that it's just a visible manifestation of the kingdom of God. And because I believe that, that doesn't mean that I don't think it'll be hard. It just means I think it'll be worth it. It's worth it. Um, and so that's just what I've been thinking about a lot. And when I was growing up, my mom, I'm one of three, my mom had three daughters and she would always say, well, I can only be as happy as my least happy child. And I remember as a kid just being like, well, that's some ish right there (laughs) and I don't you know I don't believe I don't believe that I don't but I also I mean there are just days as a pastor where like 
when there are people that you care about that are really hurting, it's just really hard. It's really hard to be happy, right? It's really hard to figure out how to carry that. And you just realize like, well, you can't, I, you, you and I, we don't even have like numerically large churches, but like, we can't only be as happy as our least happy community member because like we will never be happy again, but also we can't be indifferent to it. And so just figuring out what that, what that looks like, um, and how to, I don't know, it's just community is hard. It's worth it, but it's hard. And I feel like, you know, personally, I just need to be um, availing the spiritual resources that I have um, in moments like this where you just feel very acutely your limitedness as a human and as a pastor. And it's tempting to believe like, well, (laughs) we've just reached the peak. (laughs) It's all downhill from here. And to say like, no, no, no. What I actually believe is that it's the power of God that resurrects the body of Christ, whether that is the physical body of Jesus of Nazareth or the body of Christ, which is Derida, which is the grove. And so I'm feeling very weak and limited and tapped out, but that was never the, the source of this life in this community That's anyway. Good. And so... How do I in this time, like just look at what I'm saying, in a time of fear, the commu- like our church community needs to be able to manifest an alternative. I think within the church, the pastors, when things are hard, we need to be able to be honest and real, but also to be able to say like, yeah, but this, us, we are not limited to our own ability to love each other or forgive each other or even to our own wisdom in terms of like how to be faithful when it's hard. There's a power of God that lives within and among us and we're not tapped out um, and, and we're not leveling off and um, we can have hope even as we recognize how, how totally um, just weak we are. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking about. This past Sunday, we looked at the parable of the sower and the soils, right? <laughs> that's so funny. That's what we preached on on Ash Wednesday too. You did? I yeah. didn't. I no. did. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there are the four mm-hmm. soils. And so at the end of the sermon during the prayer time, we simply paused and sat in silence asking the Holy Spirit to show us what kind of soil That's we so were. That's so funny. Um, That's exactly what we did on Ash Wednesday. Really? So we said, like, where, like, Spirit, show me where... My heart is hard. We just talked about this before. How are you going to tell me this? Where is my heart hard? Where are thorns choking? Where is... That's what you did for Ash Wednesday. Right. That's what we did on Sunday. But I was thinking... But that's like spooky. (laughs) Great minds think alike, as they say. It's enough to make you believe in the Holy Spirit. What? Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm going to be serious in a minute. But like I say that all the time. It's enough to make you believe in the Holy Spirit. And one time I said it and somebody in the church was like, but we... Do believe in the Holy Spirit, don't we? And I'm like, no to self, no more sarcasm. No, it does joking. not work. Yes. Anyway, well, sorry. But I, but I was thinking, it's a great gift yeah. when the Holy Spirit does reveal where we are wrong, where we need forgiveness, mm-hmm. where we are off, and we've got to have the kind of um, 
mentality with our brothers and sisters that says, it's a gift when I go to you and say, when you did that thing, when you said that thing, it hurt me, right? It, right. it puts you in a very vulnerable place. And often we don't think about the, the vulnerability of God, except mm-hmm. for maybe Jesus on the cross. But what a great gift it is when we ask the Holy Spirit to show us, like, okay, convict us of our sin. Show us where we're wrong. The Holy Spirit is faithful to do that. And it is it is blessing. It is gift. And it's also gift when we come in the right spirit um, to our brothers and sisters and, and say, you know, I was hurt by something you did or said and it does make us very vulnerable but but it also is respecting that person right because i'm coming to you and saying like i was really hurt by this thing you said and the reason i'm telling you this is because i believe that you'll care like i believe that you and i want the same things i believe that that wasn't your intention and so that's why i'm coming to you and if i don't come to you then whether i'm consciousness conscious of this or not, what I'm really saying is, yeah, that's who I think you are. Like, you hurt me. Because the work of the Spirit is all about the work of reconciliation. Correct. Right? And so when we do that with our brothers and sisters, it's all about reconciliation, lest we fall into the thinking of, oh, I see you. I know who you are. Yeah, and I just want... That's just what you do. And I mean, we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount earlier, and it's just this idea of we think like, well, as long as I don't physically speak ill of this person or mm-hmm. physically, you know, materially cut them out or ignore them or behave, then whatever I do, whatever is happening with me spiritually just doesn't matter mm-hmm. in turn, you know, and, but that is the clearly against the witness of scripture where Jesus is saying like, I don't care if you kill someone, if in your heart you're thinking you're, you fool, then you're in danger of what? Of hell, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> this idea of, again, we were saying before that hell isn't this necessarily or certainly not limited to this this place that exists outside of the reality we're living in, in right you now, now it, and released into your environment. Correct. And yes. to say, like, if we're allowing ourselves to not seek reconciliation with someone because of, I mean, and I just, I mean, this is so real in my life right now, not as like I'm observing other people, but because I'm caught in hard spaces right now where I want reconciliation, but I also don't want it and I need to yeah I mean it's just so hard so I don't at all mean to be presenting as though I'm sitting on some high holy hill with all my house in order because like it's not I'm just saying like it 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 is what we actually feel what is actually truth even if it's internal even if we're sure that we're never going to act on it or even speak it that doesn't mean it's not there like, and, and it's not that it doesn't have power. I mean, Jesus says the thought in your heart has the power to condemn you to hell. And I mean, I would think that, you know, one way, and some people might say this is too metaphorical, but I mean, one way of understanding hell is hell is just being separated from God and to be separated from one that God loves in some ways is to be separated from God. And we can't control we cannot control what other people do, but we can be honest with ourselves about, you know, what have we done to seek reconciliation? That's good. And, and if people, if we're not telling people the truth, then we, then we're robbing them of the chance to, you know, heal us, to ask for forgiveness. Like, we, like we're, we're needing people to do something but they're just out there blissfully unaware 
of what of what they've done. And like we think like, well, you know, we the enemy of our souls convinces us that we have an accurate read on somebody else's intention. And I mean, that's not true. We're not that's mind good. readers. None of us are mind readers. That's good. That's good. Um, but we, anyway, I, it's just super, super hard. So, excellent. So, we already talked about what you're preaching about. What else do you want to say? Uh, what am I preaching about? Well, we're continuing. Hell. No, well, it will be in the mix, but that is not the focus. <laughs> okay. um, so, you're going to cover we, hell and other things. And other things, right? Um, we are continuing a series of messages on the parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13. And started out, um, if I do say so myself, well this past Sunday. Just, it's been a while since I preached parables about the kingdom. And one of the things that either I'd forgotten or I never really learned was that the parables of Jesus are not his teaching illustrations. Mm -hmm. His parables are not sermon illustrations. The parables are are the teaching Mm -hmm. and they are meant to be um, riddles they are meant to puzzles to make you think to make you stop and truly listen uh, to make you seek the revelation that's contained they are meant to make you wrestle with god and wrestling with god is what jacob did when he got his identity as Israel. And there will be a blessing in it. Right. And the reality is, though, we don't want to wrestle with God. We just want to solve God, put him in a box, and move on with our funky selves. Yeah. And the reality is that the parables are meant to make yes. us wrestle with God yes. because wrestling with God is how we become fully human. Yes. That's good. Well, this week we're... Kate we're, Murphy team. Yeah. <laughs> we're, this Sunday, we're looking at... Well, actually, we're doing three parables this week. It's kind of a... Okay, forgive me for this description, but it's a bit of a parable sandwich. So, oh, come oh Lord. boy, that was a huge eye if roll. You, that if was you, a huge eye if roll. If you call it a Markin sandwich, you're no, dead to But me. this is this is in Matthew, so I'm just going to call it a parable sandwich because we're looking at three three parables. The first one and the primary parable is. I'm the, sorry. Why do you have to call it a parable sandwich? Because it's it's well okay. So I can either say it's book ended. Can I say that they're they're bookends? I'm just, I mean, you can say whatever you want, obviously, but I just feel like sometimes we introduce metaphors or ideas into the sermon without unpacking no, them, and then if you're going to do three use, sermons, like, they're just three I'm sermons. I'm simply using this to talk to you. Okay. I'm not going to use it sorry. for the sermon. Okay, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I'm feeling a little feisty today. I'm a sorry. little feisty? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Wow. Community is hard. I, I'm sorry. I, had, I, I had, repent. I had no idea that sandwich would elicit such a... It's, it's a um, trigger word for yeah, me. Yeah, sandwich. Apparently. Apparently. Note to self. Sorry. (laughs) Don't say sandwich. Well, so the primary parable is the parable of um, the wheat and the weeds. Mm -hmm. Um, Right? Sower goes out to sow. Good seed. Enemy comes. Sows wheat among the weeds. The servants want to say, hey, can we pull up the wheat? And the... um, The weeds. What did I say? Wheat. Pull up the weeds. Right. Instead of the wheat. And the farmer says, no, because you'll pull up both. Mm -hmm. Jesus does not trust us. Yes. Right? He just doesn't trust his disciples to discern the difference between wheat and weeds. Right, 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 right. And he names... When 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 the when the servants say, how did this happen? How did there... How how, how did these weeds get in here? Jesus says, an enemy has done this. 
and, and, and later, you know, he says that the enemy is the devil. From Jesus' point of view, our enemy is not other people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I love that. He, 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 he can see past uh, the, the, the faults and failures of people to our real enemy. Plus, like, um, our, my friend Carl and Rebecca, they have worked at, in wilderness therapy, and they said one of the things they've been trained on, just from a secular psychological canon, which we should understand is exactly this, that every bad action has a good intention, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if a young person steals or lies or... I mean, whatever it is, they're not doing it because they're evil. They're doing it because they're afraid or because they're trying to, they think you're going to reject them anyway. So they're trying to provoke it so that you will. I mean, like just to be able to understand that people, I mean, unless, you know, unless they are like severely psychologically, clinically, you know, have some sort of mental health disease, people, if they do something that is bad, the action is bad but the intention, there's a good intention. And so they've learned a wrong way to get a, what is a good and healthy desire. And so that's that a yes. thing about like, you know, our enemy isn't people. Our enemy is the power and principality, the ideology that is getting people to believe that if you want love, you got to do this. If you want peace, you got to mm-hmm. kill your enemies. If you want security, you got to hoard or what, whatever it is. It's that ideology, which is why... You know, like we try to kill all the terrorists and think, okay, then we'll be saved. Say you can't kill an idea. You can't kill an ideology. You have to, you have to teach again. You have to cast a better ideology. Yeah. Yes. And so Jesus or the the farmer tells the servants, no, don't pull the the weeds. Let them grow together because in the end, they will be both pulled up, the wheat Mm-hmm. Taken to the barn, the weeds burned, mm-hmm. right? Fire! And he gives the parable, and then he gives the explanation of the parable um, after telling two other smaller parables. Mm-hmm. And in between that parable of the wheat and the weeds and his explanation, Jesus tells two short, short parables. Um, one about um, the kingdom being like a mustard seed, yeah. small, but it grows into a, a tree, and then about uh, yeast that a woman uses and mixes into a huge amount of dough, and it affects the whole thing. And I think contagious holiness. Yes. Well, I think Jesus is is putting all of those things together to say, my disciples, your job is not to go around plucking mm-hmm. weeds, mm-hmm. but to plant wheat, because the kingdom of God. The good seed of the kingdom, even though it seems small and insignificant, like the mustard seed, like the wheat, it will have the effect of taking over everything. So just trust that. Don't get all worked up about the weeds that you see. Right. right? Because some things that you think are weeds... Are not. Really are not. So Yeah. Well, and I think that makes sense. I wouldn't call it a sandwich, but it makes sense that you're going to link that... I mean, obviously, you're going to link them because Jesus put the explanation afterwards to mm-hmm. say you need this and to put those two parables in there to say like, yeah, know you're an enemy, know that you have an enemy, know what your enemy is doing, but you don't need to live in fear of your enemy because the mustard seeds you plant have more power and effect than you could possibly notice. And the yeast is contagious holiness. So it's not contagious evil, it's contagious holiness. And that's what helps us And it goes back continue. to what you were saying about hell. We use it to... Um, 
say we need a place for those we don't like or for our enemies. No, Jesus will take care of all of that. So what are you preaching on Sunday? Um, so we have a sermon series on smashing idols. Last week we did pride. This week we're doing lust, which, I mean, was such a good idea in theory. Uh, but I'm going to do a um, passage from the Sermon on the Mount, um, starting in Matthew 5, 28. Um, and I, what I really need to do, want to do, and have had some really helpful conversations with people who didn't know that they were helping me um, confirm that we need to do this. That, oh, that's great. You know, there's just a lot of really unhelpful um, teaching, both in the church and in the culture, about about lust and what it is and whether it's good or bad or dangerous or natural. And so I think it'll just be really important to be able to sort of, you know, name all of that, strip it away and then just go, okay, can we just look at how Jesus taught? And I think very clearly when Jesus talks about lust, it's just about saying you would, uh, when you look on a person made in the image of God, and you decide to use your power to use them as an object to gratify or benefit yourself in some way. That's lust. So whether it's sexuality or power or you know influence or reputation, whatever it is, when we use people like objects um, that we're lusting um, for for them or over them. And that's really dangerous. And, and if the community of God is, and I think it is, a, a place of um, mutuality and kinship and um, just a place where people are, are where weak people are, are safe and lifted up and protected and when power is used not against the powerless but for the powerless, then lust is clearly something that puts us outside of that community. And that's what Jesus says. is It's not just if you commit adultery against a woman, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you see her as an object and then you're not dwelling in the beloved community. You're really in danger of of hell. I mean, my text talks about hell as well. And so that's a that's a really hard thing, but I also think it's really important to to separate that from just human sexuality, which is not bad um, and which is of God. And and I was talking to a, a mom in my congregation this week who said she grew up in an evangelical church where she just, I mean, every other sermon was about lust. And when she was going through puberty, what she really internalized was everything that I'm becoming and everything that I'm feeling is bad and dangerous, and I just need to repent of it, regret it, feel guilt and shame, and move on. And like, shockingly, that doesn't set somebody up to have a healthy, to make healthy choices with regard to themselves or other people. And so, um, I am the last person in the world who ever wants to preach on human sexuality. Um, and I was saying earlier that of of all the things that are hard about being a pastor in a woman's body like this is is just hard. It's just so layered. Um, and I, it's not like I think that like talking about these things is easy when you're a man. I think having these conversations is really difficult, and that's why we in the church either do it really badly or don't have them. Um, but one of the things that I feel you know really important is just to sort of set up the contrast between lust and love. And then also to say, we have to be able to have these conversations 
um, even though we're scared, we have to be able to be honest and say what we think is true, not what we think will keep people safe, uh, right? Because I think a lot of times we lie and say like, well, um, a woman should never have a conversation with a man because lust, you know, and that's not true. Like that's not the gospel, but we act like Pharisees and we want to go like, well, here's something that God has forbidden. So let's just also mark out of bounds, healthy and holy behavior so that people never get close to the forbiddenness. So that if we just say men and women should just never talk to each other, then there's no way that they'll lust after each other. And like, ironically, all that does is help us see one another as objects across the genders and not as fully human. And so you end up reinforcing the very dynamic that you're trying to destroy, right? So we just have to have real conversations even when they are nuanced and hard. And to say to people, you know, not talking about these conversations, if we just don't even try, then there's zero chance that we're going to pass along the values of God because we're not talking about them. And if we're not talking about them, there's zero, zero chance that people, when they're vulnerable or when they've messed up, they're never going to come to us. They're never going to invite us to be with them in their pain and in their brokenness because we've just said, you know, we're, we're, we don't have these conversations. And if we're not talking about them, something from the culture, from things from right. the society is going to fill in the gap. Culture or consumer Christianity. I mean, yeah. other people are talking. So yeah. if what we think that, you know, if you're fine with letting Hollywood have the last word on human sexuality, cool. If you're fine with letting, you know, the most powerful pulpits in the nation have the yeah. last word on human sexuality, cool. I'm not fine with either of those things. And I don't feel like either of those two entities are totally wrong. I just think both have enough of the truth to make them dangerous. And so anyway, but bottom line, if people can just leave saying, when I see another person as an object to be used by me for my self-interest, then the culture might not teach me to label that lust, but... It is. And so to say even things that we think are harmless, like pornography or, you know, some sort of whatever, that is literally turning an actual human being into an object for my consumption. And that Mm. is spiritually dangerous. And that's not about saying that people involved in that industry are bad or evil, because as we said before, they're not our enemies. Like the the enemy enemy is our enemy, right? And we're not mad at people for being caught under the influence of the same lies that are are influencing us, right? So we want to be able to set up to say like porn is spiritually dangerous, not because you're bad or they're bad, but because we've just been taught taught a lot of lies. Some of the lies have said that, you know, desire and human sexuality is bad, but the other side of the lie is Anything you desire is fine. So just lean into it. And not the, the truth, I think, is just a harder middle to navigate without shame. And the, to say... The call to wrestle with God once the again. The call to wrestle, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's it. We've gone long. We're glad you listened. I hope that Yolando edits out all the embarrassing stuff in the middle, but he probably won't, and that's editor's choice. So if you want to hear some of Yolando's messages, you should go to the Podbean website and look up Derida Church Podcast, and you should check out Derida Church. Go to Google and and uh, type in Derida Church Charlotte, and it will pop you over to their website because 
it changes a lot. And if you want to know um, what's going on at The Grove, you can go to our website, thegrovecharlotte.org. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter and you can check out Sermons at The Grove on iTunes. Um, search for The Grove Charlotte. So thanks for listening and we'll talk at you next week. Thank you.